that'll rock some people's worlds. Cause I'm like, no, he doesn't, you know, drink or do drugs anymore, but he does mushrooms <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it helps him. And it's helped both of us, you know, be more present with our kids. I'm more in tune with what my kids need. We're better parents because of this. And we're not, this is something that's, that keeps coming up, you know, the girls weekends away, the mom's trips, like trying to escape our lives. I used to do that all the time. You know, couldn't wait for three-day girls weekend to get away from my husband and away from my kids and away from my life and just drink the whole weekend. And we don't do that anymore because I'm not trying to escape it. I'm living in every moment and I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. So how can that be wrong? (laughs) The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Psilocybin Says. My name is Courtney Rose, and if this is your first time tuning into Psilocybin Says, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for taking a shot on our show. I think this is a fantastic first shot to take. This episode is so good. Eric got the opportunity to interview Leah Gerstorf, who is a fellow psychedelic podcaster and a fellow Louisville native. We had the opportunity to go to her and her co-host Christine's in-home studio a few months back and had a really great down-to-earth conversation with both of them, and we've been in touch ever since. And so this conversation was one in which I was really looking forward to and then ended up getting the flu. So it was just Eric and Leah uh, on this episode because believe me, you do not want to hear what this mama sounds like with the flu. You can already get a taste of it right now. I'm still recovering almost two weeks later. Um, So I'm just going to take a moment to give a big old shout out to anyone and everyone who has been sick recently or is currently sick. You know what? You're doing great. You're doing great. I know you feel crazy. I know it feels like nothing makes sense and everything is confusing and you can hear your echo of your own voice inside of your head. And it's so weird, but you know what? It's going to pass. You're going to come out better. You're going to come out stronger and you're going to have a new perspective on things and it'll all make sense soon. So just hang in there. You're doing great. (laughs) So Anyway, all that to say, I had serious FOMO that day uh, when I couldn't make this conversation. Um, Leah is a mother. She's an entrepreneur. She's recently started on this journey of psychedelic wellness and spirituality, and that includes with mushrooms and a recent experience at a local ayahuasca church in Greensboro, Kentucky, which she talks about on this episode. Uh, She also shares... um, She shares some things about being a mom and entering into this new psychedelic space and how this is felt navigating with family and friends and those dynamics. Um, She shared about 
her perspective on working with plant medicine with her children and um, her spouse. And she even touches on autism and psychedelics, which is a topic we really don't hear about a ton yet. Um, But there's actually some really interesting research um, that was done um, like 50 plus years ago on autism and LSD. And there's just so much more to discover there. But I just, I really love how Leah just keeps it down to earth and uh, she has such a welcoming vibe. So please, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify and you enjoy the episode, give us that five-star rating. Oh, we'd be so grateful. And if you're tuning in on YouTube, make sure to like this video, subscribe. We release new podcasts on YouTube and all the other podcast places every single week. Make sure to comment, let us know what you found most interesting. And we're so grateful to have you here. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and I hope you just have an awesome rest of your day. Leah, welcome to Psilocybin Says. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Glad to be here. Podcaster to podcaster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so we meet again. We meet again. We <laughs> will turn. <laughs> you have a much nicer studio, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know how people joke about like a man cave? Uh-huh. Um, this is my podcast cave. Uh, I am so freaking jealous of it. I'm not even, I'm not even joking. You should come back because we've done a lot more to it. I'm like, this is literally turning into like my happy place. Um, my, my, honestly, like it's becoming a very nice tripping room. I was going to ask if you uh, have done any dosing down there. I absolutely have. I'm trying to get a bean bag down here oh, and yeah. LED lights and yeah, totally. Very good. Very good. All right. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so you have been on a, quite a journey here in the last, what would you, what would you call it since you really stepped into this world? I would call it a trip. Well, I mean, t- time wise. Yeah. Time wise though. How, how, oh, long, how long? Um, well, I would say, uh, my first mushroom journey was two and a half years ago. Um, okay. June of 2020, and it has been a wild ride ever since. Um, I think I really kind of dove into it hardcore. Um, but I think what's interesting is I I knew I wanted to start a podcast around it, but no one else wanted to. <laughs> I was like, why doesn't anybody else want to talk about this with me? And someone came along who kind of had the same, like, why is no one talking about this? We should do this. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I've been wanting to do this. Absolutely. But I think since then we started our podcast in um, March, April, and the people that we've had on, the experts that we've had on, you've been on, Courtney has been on, um, just hearing other people's stories, hearing from the experts, that in itself has been such a learning experience. And it's really been a huge, I want to call it like part of an integration process of sorts. Like I've learned so much from so many different people and I come out of every episode, like, you know, like it's, 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 it's a trip. Like every episode feels like I'm going on a journey with someone. Yeah. I love that. You know, when I had the wonderful opportunity to record with Duncan Trussell, he told me that, that he saw himself as kind of like 
a shaman of sorts, or he he really called it said he was a bus driver, and that he was ah. as a as a podcaster, as a conversationalist. You are you're kind of you're you're holding and creating this space to go on some kind of a journey together. You may have an idea of where you're trying to get to, like the topics that you wanted to you know discuss and all that. But what you encounter along the way is often much more beautiful than the destination itself. I so I I want to admit something because when we first had you on, Christine and I were both like, "You're so intimidating because you are." I know, right? <laughs> like, I feel very. <laughs> Oh, because we felt like such babies in the space next to you. And while I still feel like I don't have as many journey, well, I mean, this is a fact. I don't have as many journeys under my belt as a lot of people do, but just hearing from other people, kind of like what you're saying, like hearing all the stuff from other people has kind of given me like more than a head start, you know, I feel like I don't need to do as many journeys as some people might need to do because I'm learning from here and from there and from here and from there. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that is so true. That's so true. And that's, as I've worked with people and kind of training them to be practitioners, what I've always said is like, you can get so much further, so much faster than I did just by leveraging what I've learned. And the same thing goes. And that's that's really what, you know, we're in this uh, cleric training. We just wrapped up this last round of cleric training. And, you know, one of the concepts that, you know, I really try to embody is that a, a good teacher is ultimately here to make themselves useless. You want to you give away all of your information so that others can come and then they teach you and then be, you become a student again, you know, in this beautiful journey, this beautiful kind of cycle that we're on together. And yeah, psychedelics really exemplify that. And, you know, we've had so little contact with these medicines for so long. We all have a lot of catching up to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, um, there's a book I read after psychedelics, the warrior of the light. Um, it's written by the same, Oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. The alchemist. Don Luis. Oh, um, is that who that is? I know. No, no, you're talking about about, hollow Cohen or something. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Um, in, he wrote the alchemist, but there's another book he wrote called the warrior of the light. And one of the things it says is, you know, a, a warrior, um, really shares their stories around the campfire. They don't hold their secrets to the battles in. They share it with other people. And I was listening to something one time. A lot of people have this weird thing with the word shaman. Like when other people call themselves shamans or, you know, they're like, how dare he say that? Or how dare she I get cringy. I'm like, oh, hold up. Who are you? Wait. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Open my mind. It kind of said, you know, a really a shaman is just is someone who walked through the fire and is sharing their story and how they got to the other side of it. And it kind of gave me this new, like, oh, okay. So like I don't have to say I'm not saying in any nobody's ever called me a shaman. I've never called myself a shaman, but I see it different now. Mm. You know. Um Similar to, we were talking before we got started, we just did this ayahuasca journey. He's kind of gotten the nickname, the trailer park shaman. 
Mm-hmm. And when we say that, people are like, oh, I hate it when people call themselves shamans. I was like, I don't think he calls himself that. And he doesn't. I asked him. He was like, I've never said that. That's what people call me. But I just, it just gets in people's heads. Like he thinks he's better than everybody. He thinks he's a shaman. And he's really just kind of sharing something. Oh man. All right. So let's just, let's just blow this open because this is something that I actually just made a big LinkedIn post about this today. We recorded a podcast a couple weeks about this. It's something that I have experienced in my own self and that I see in the wider psychedelic community is this, um, kind of, um, segmenting off of different types of practitioners and the criticisms of us all towards each other. And, I think this is probably one of the greatest hurdles to real progress in the movement. And I'm looking at my own self, honestly, and how I have at times, more often than not, honestly, you know, been critical of the clinical approach or the therapeutic approach or whatever you want, you know, the Michael Pollan style kind of thing. And and then those who call themselves shamans. And we're really limiting ourselves by allowing language. Mm-hmm. to create such a barrier that we can't share information and everybody benefit equally. Yeah. We noticed that, you know, not going to call anyone out, but in some of our episodes, there's there's a lot of resistance um, in the medical community <laughs> to the so, underground community. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my there, God. so yeah. much. Like, there's like an elitist, like, you know... Um, I think in one of our episodes, someone said something about like, we're getting ahead of the medicine and, and afterwards we're like, but people have been working with this medicine for so long. (laughs) How are we getting ahead of it? But you know what I mean? Like, you know, so there's a lot of resistance. Um, and I, I feel exactly what you're saying. Like there's, but you and Christine are in such a great position to maybe, um, provide more of a middle ground. And I, I wonder, how do we do that? How, how can we do that? And, you know, it's from, from my experience, it's been working with clinicians that opened them up to my process and opened me up to their process a little bit more, yeah. you know, but when we don't have the ability to really be necessarily hands-on with each other, how do, how do we facilitate a larger dialogue where there is more honesty and vulnerability within the entire community? I think that just not, um, it's very easy to think the way that, that you're doing it is the right way. And the other way, I, I get it. Like, you know, the way that I did my first mushroom ceremony, I was like, this is the way it has to be done because I had such a great experience. And then since then I've realized like, oh, there are so many more ways to do this than going out in the woods and, pooping in the wood. <laughs> it was a great experience. It's wonderful. Was, I do recommend well, that everyone try that at least once. Exactly. Like I was going to say, like that was a wonderful experience and I wouldn't have had it any other way, but now I'm like, I'd rather do it at home in my bed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, so, I, I may still have a preference for the woods and the shovel. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I might be a little bougie, so <laughs> I'll own it. I'll own it. Takes all kinds. Takes all yeah. kinds. <laughs> so I think that that's like, um, 
okay, for example, like right now, you're right. Like we talk to a lot of people from both ends, like the underground, the above ground, the medical side, um, you know, the therapist side who aren't quite PhDs and doing ketamine treatments, but understand the importance of psychedelics and integrating um, those experiences and creating a safe place for people to come back home to. However, there's resistance in all of them. (laughs) And we're kind of the, we are, we're the middle ground. We're the ones listening and bringing the information forward. And I think what's important is to just maybe sit with what feels right for you. And, you know, if going to the woods is what you feel like you're being drawn to, then maybe a clinical setting isn't the right one for you. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there should be this butting of heads, um, so how do we how do we diffuse that from the practitioner side? You know, I completely agree that those yeah. who are approaching the medicine, whatever feels right, you know. But yeah. Then, yeah, I don't I don't I so as this is becoming to my awareness, I'm wondering, okay, like how do I how do I aside from acknowledging my own criticisms, right? Trying to open a conversation up in the way that I can, what can we do that's even more meaningful and, and has more of a real impact? Because I truly think that if, uh, look at it, if all of these approaches would just respect each other equally and we would fucking destroy any barriers that were in front of us. But yeah. right now it's like half the people are trying to, like if you see what happened in Oregon, you know, there's like this, yeah. there's this gatekeeping still. So I, I think the best way to approach it, um, my opinion, is just... It, realizing we're all on the same team. Like there's no, there's no, we're not like offense and defense. Like we're literally all fighting for the same thing. So Mm -hmm. if you can reach people your way, then someone else can reach people another way. Um, You know, there's some, like a lot of people are like, oh, I hate when celebrities start talking about doing psychedelics because we put them on a pedestal. And the way I see it is right. People put them on a pedestal. So use Mm -hmm. it. You know, like if they're coming out about Aaron Rodgers coming out about using ayahuasca, you know, if people are going to put him on a pedestal and and be like, well, if he's doing it, then then maybe it's not so bad. Then use that. Don't yeah. hate it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But I even though I've been guilty myself, can can we take a minute just to highlight Mike Tyson? It's it really. Yeah. Did you did you happen to see the U.S. Open where he was so obviously tripping balls? And oh no, I didn't see that. Oh, it's a, he's like in the stands and he's just like laughing to himself and he's like talking and oh, and, he, he yeah. was so, and I just like after I saw that I was like there could not be a better human being than the biggest, blackest, scariest tattoo on your face. I would bite off your ear, motherfucker, to say, this is our God-given right. Go ahead and stop me. You know? Right. <laughs> like, yes! Mike yeah. Tyson, he will fucking kick everybody's ass and protect our mushrooms. <laughs> yes, yes. And he's also like, peace and love. And he's also just like, peace and love until you mess with them on the airplane too much. You see that? Right. Did you see that? Right. No, I didn't see that either. Oh, there's this guy, there's this dude on the airplane that, you know, recognizes Mike Tyson and starts saying, oh, Mike Tyson's trying to sell me shrooms. Mike Tyson's trying to sell me shrooms. And then he gets behind him and he starts 
throwing a cup or something at him. And Mike Tyson finally turns down and just pummels this dude in his face. He's like, look, dude, I may be peaceful and I got limits like everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So let's take this back to like, okay. yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to take this back to like the Will Smith thing. You know, okay, okay. I had a conversation in an Uber with the driver about it was, he was talking about ayahuasca and then he brought up, well, Will Smith says he's done it this many times and it obviously didn't help him. Mm. And I was like, well, you know, here's the thing. Like we're all still human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're all still triggered. We're all going to have outbursts or, you know, react in ways that don't align with what we believe we should be doing. Um, I guess the change that I saw is he removed himself from the academy. He apologized for what he did. He held himself accountable. And to me, that is growth. Yes. So it's it's that like holding these holding people to the standard that they're not allowed to be human. They're they're not allowed to make mistakes. Like we 100 percent do. God, we yes. just own them. <laughs> yes. 100%. A little better. 100 <laughs> percent And that's, you know, a big part of this conversation in trying to bridge the gap between the different models is that, you know, if that's what I've tried to do, at least at least in this instance right now, is acknowledge my mistakes. And so now, like, let's move forward with some kind of reconciliation. And right. isn't that another disservice that we're doing in the psychedelic community by in any shape, form, or fashion, kind of pretending that psychedelics are going to fix us or make us superhumans who never make mistakes, and all of a sudden we've ascended to the angelic realms. Right, right. Like, we haven't ascended. Like, no. We're not, you know, we are, but we're not God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> you know what I'm like we're not claiming to be better than anybody else so why are we pretending or why are we trying to say that the way that we're doing it is better than what anybody else is doing i guess it's just another tool in the kit yeah yeah i'll so. be at a very profound one so so was this your first experience with ayahuasca it was all right let's talk about that a little bit yeah um, so Steve Hupp of IAQuest, uh, we had him on, I think back in June and he invited us to do a ceremony. And the weird thing is like, I feel like this is always how it works when psychedelic, I think I remember hearing you say this, or maybe it was in like a service Sunday service with sanctuary. Somebody said something one time that really stuck with me. Like when psychedelics call, you answer, when you get the answer, you hang up the phone. So I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense because I had been called to ayahuasca for a while. I had been researching places, looking places up. And then he offers this ceremony in the middle of our episode. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like crying because I'm like, you have no idea. Like I've literally been like looking into this for so long. So it was just like, this is my call. Like I'm, I need to answer this. So yeah, I know a lot of people, even like my um, psychiatrist who I love, who sits with ayahuasca all the time, was very like, I don't know about this. Like, are you sure you're okay with this? And and I just knew, like, I knew it was right. Mm -hmm. I felt good about it. You know, I trust my intuition and I know it's not right for everybody. And, and some people prefer the 
going to the jungle, you know, Costa Rica, Jamaica, wherever. And, you know, for my first experience, I was like, it would be nice if I could just like drive a couple of hours Mm. and not spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And it can be a nice little intro. Doesn't mean I'm not going to do that other experience one day. Mm. I will. Mm -hmm. Putting that out there, I absolutely will. Um, But it was a nice little intro. And for my first time with ayahuasca, I really think it was that's the way it was supposed to be. Like I was with a really small group, you know, it was just four of us. We all knew each other going in and we've kind of gotten closer coming out. Um, the experience was two nights. First night we did a microdose. Second night we did the full dose. And um, I'm still kind of processing a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, you've done ayahuasca, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest difference for me is I still think mushrooms are my medicine. (laughs) If that makes any sense. Like those are going to be my go-to always. Um, I just have a curiosity with other ones. I just want to need, I just want to like taste them. Like, let me see what that one tastes like. Let me see what that one does. But I will always go back to mushrooms. Um, what you think about the taste of ayahuasca? <laughs> it literally tasted like poop. <laughs> it, yeah, the nastiest yeah. stuff you've ever put in your mouth ever. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> One of the girls is like, "It tastes like chocolate," and we're like, "Shut the oh fuck my God. up!" Like, Whoa. stop saying that. <laughs> it was gross. Um, coming up, it wasn't as bad. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so weird. Like it didn't taste as bad coming up, which I'm like, how is that even possible? Um, but I think um, I, I'm still piecing things together. And I think after a mushroom journey, I remember everything so vividly mm. and I can still remember my first journey. And it it's very like, this seems like I'm trying to put together a blackout drunk night. <laughs> wow. It's the opposite for me. Wow. Has been, yeah. Ayahuasca was very, very clear. I remembered every detail. Uh, still do, up down to the thoughts um, that I was having. And mushrooms, not so much. No, there's a lot of lot of blackout missing time there and ongoing. Yeah. Really? That's interesting. We're all so different, you know, and that's know. that's another thing about this is we we just cannot generalize in psychedelics. You're exact. Like it's not the medicine. Like it's, it's really there's, just, there's so many factors. Yeah. So many factors. Sense. I remember pieces of it. I just, mm-hmm. I remember coming out the next day and being like, Oh my God, I was like so blissed out. I was just laying there with a smile on my face the whole time. And they were like, no, you weren't. You weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like out loud, you guys heard me crying, and they were like, "You weren't crying, you were sobbing." So, wow, I didn't remember that part. Wow, okay, yeah. So it's almost like, like maybe I don't need to remember that part, mm-hmm. and maybe I only need to remember the good. Yeah, or it may come back up later when you're more ready for it. You know, um, these these experiences certainly have a way of unfolding for for years and years, which is a beautiful aspect of them. So, talk about you. You talked spoke a little bit about Steve and the way he operates, and I'm really interested in bringing that into the conversation, particularly around ayahuasca, because it's so very ceremonialized. Um, yeah. Um, 
I think they just kind of put their own spin on their traditions and the ceremonial aspect of it. And I, the way that he described it, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit about how you guys in the episode you did with us talked about being in Jamaica and doing these retreats in Jamaica and then people coming back home to real life and not really having a way to like merge what they just learned with the life that they're living. Mm -hmm. He, he almost makes it like it's easier to come back to real life because you never really left real life. If that makes any sense. Total sense. So I think, um, you know, he's a character. He was a bank robber. <laughs> you know, he he drops a lot of fuck bombs. <laughs> like, he's just <laughs> real, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so when you meet him, you're like, oh, my God. Like, he he's, like, just a normal person. There's no, like, you don't feel, like, um, intimidated by him. Um, and I think with a lot of ceremonial shamans, I do personally. I'm like, oh my God, they know so much and I know so little, like, mm-hmm. you know, bowing down to them. And this was not like that at all. But I think a lot of people were more afraid of the setting that we were going to be in because it's this like church in the middle of uh, Greensburg, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't scare me because I'm like, y'all, I, I grew up in trailer parks. Like, you know, <laughs> I can, I, I'm sleeping on a cot. That's not a big deal. If I did it the other way, I'd be in the jungle, you know? Right, right, right. So apparently I have a problem with like sleeping in a bed, <laughs> like <laughs> having well, your restroom. There's, there's really though a ton of value in you know, talking about, again, expanding these experiences out beyond not just kind of the medical um, design, but even outside of the traditional, so to speak, or the indigenous design. You know, that's one of the things that I was very intentional about in Jamaica and still am, um, is we are not those people. We are not the, the you know, the Oaxacans. We are not... Central American Mayans who that tradition is long and rich and there's so much to be learned from that, but it has to be applied or it's more, I believe it to be more effectively applied through our lens. Right. I think that's the thing. Like um, ritual sometimes scares people, especially if they're like newer to the space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if, if, if you watched his show on vice, you know, there, it showed a lot of like interaction between him or his wife and the, the people taking the medicine. Um, it wasn't like that at all. I'm like, that was just the show. (laughs) Um, they didn't show the people when they were like in the medicine, you know what I'm saying? Like when we were in it, Mm -hmm. they stayed back, they were there to talk afterwards. That was it. And I think that that's kind of the way it should be. Okay. Yeah. Great. That's that's wonderful to hear. Um, yeah. I, I did not have kind of preconceptions about him, and you hear him hear him known as the trailer park shaman, and even right. myself. You know, you just like formulate this. Uh, he's got feathers over top of people and stuff while they're tripping, <laughs> and so that's wonderful to hear. And I think that yeah, there's a lot of space for that that approach. Yeah, and I think for some people that would be an uncomfortable setting for them. Like mm-hmm. I love it. I was fine with it. (laughs) 
Man, another thing that we don't really talk about in this whole thing too much is personal responsibility. You know, like you are responsible to research and know what you're getting yourself into and right. whatever the whatever the approach is, you know. And so I think that's uh, something that we could really talk about more. So do you think that you all could host a big podcast conference with a bunch of different practitioners and we could all have a, a conversation about maybe like try to get everybody together like guys we're yeah. on the same team here <laughs> I I, I want to do it I feel like it's impossible or challenging for me to do it as the founder of a psychedelic church because then there's you know this is how we do it so I, w- I would love to be a part of that conversation but don't know that I'm the best one to necessarily facilitate it so right. you okay. all are in a good spot I'm just saying if you want to this we, we can like bring kind of, you're, you're kind of right like we're we're very like neutral yeah um, you know I love it I love it you all, I mean you you came into this and we're like holy shit let's dive into this world and understand it better from every side yeah and mo- most people it seems like most of us come into this and we're just like I'm gonna do it my way you know right. so right. I really I, I really respect we're like the Joe Rogans of, um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll not talk to anybody Joe Rogan, but like, you know, he gets a lot of like, uh, hate because of the people he has on. Mm-hmm. So I'm, it's just, we had somebody on and we loved everything they had to say, you know, and then we have someone else on and we love everything they have to say. And then we like go back and forth and, you know, we're just bringing the information out. That's it. That's it. The different sides, the different angles, the underground, the above ground. And um, yeah, we're, we're kind of like the neutral, like, just tell us how you do it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So I uh, intentionally wore my local Kentucky. This is from the Bi-Local Fair in 2015. Do you ever go to the Bi-Local Fair down the waterfront? No. No. Oh, it's fucking great. It's fucking great. This was the year I was arrested right after this festival. We were we were arrested. I didn't even realize that until I put the. I was getting ready to say like, oh yeah, and I was like, oh shit, that's 2015. That's kind of weird. But anyway, we're both here. We're both here in Louisville, and yeah. we're both parents. And yeah. however, you know, I've been the dreadlocked psychedelic microphone guy for a long time. You and Christine are pretty new to the public kind of sp- sphere and psychedelia. I'm curious. First and foremost, locally, how that's playing out for you as, as parents in particular? Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to say first and foremost, I think that Christine and I were are very lucky to be able to talk about these things. You know, there's a lot of people who can't. Um, a lot of people who are in this space, even who can't publicly talk about it. Um, you know, we're both our own bosses, so we're not afraid of being fired or our bosses finding out or being judged at work. You know, like I talk about it at work. So my, most of my clients know this about me. Um, I, I have a very hard time, like relating to parents of my children, um, who aren't, familiar with this space or even open to understanding it. There's like a lot of, you know, let's get together and have these mommy wine play dates. And I just don't do that. I never have. Mm. So that's not like a new thing since psychedelics. That's like, I've never done the whole mommy wine culture. That's never mm. been me. Mm. Um, I think we're rocking some worlds and, you know, there's this, oh my God, they're moms. 
<laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and we're okay. Like, actually, we're better than okay. We're better moms because of it, you know. And I would even like we're my husband and I are better parents because of it. Yes, like he's sober and 18 months sober, and that'll rock some people's world because I'm like, no, he doesn't, you know drink or do drugs anymore, but he does mushrooms and and it helps him. And it's helped both of us, you know, be more present with our kids. Um, I'm more in tune with what my kids need. Um, I'm going to rewind this a little bit because in my ayahuasca trip, she was, mother ayahuasca was telling me what my kids needed from me that I wasn't giving them. Like, you know, here I am thinking I'm doing the best, and I was, I'm doing the best that I can. That's what all of us are doing. But hearing her tell me exactly what they needed, Mm. I went home literally the night we got back and I cuddled with my 10-year-old on the couch Mm. because I hadn't done that in a very long time. I didn't know he needed it. You know, like we're better parents because of this and we're not... This is something that's that keeps coming up, you know, the girls' weekends away, the mom's trips, like trying to escape our lives. I used to do that all the time, you know, couldn't wait for three-day girls' weekend to get away from my husband and away from my kids and away from my life and just drink the whole weekend. And we don't do that anymore because I'm not trying to escape it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm living in every moment and I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how can that be wrong? <laughs> oh, that was so beautifully said. I just, I wish more people understood, you know, why we do this. And I mean, I'm trying to explain why, but <laughs> there's still a lot of judgment around it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, have you had direct comments made to you here? Um, I haven't. I haven't personally, I know that Christine has, um, but I can feel it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh. I can, I can feel like when people get really uncomfortable, but you know, I will say this, the very, it, this is so interesting to me. People who you thought didn't understand it in the beginning, they're starting to reach out. Yeah. They're starting to ask questions. They're messaging me like, Hey, I know you have this podcast. What do you know about this? And I'm like, oh, now you're interested. Okay. All right. So, you know, we're not here to like preach at anybody or tell anybody how to do their life. We're just living our life the way that we are. And by doing that, people are getting curious. That's it. That's all you got to do, really. That's all we got to do. Really. <laughs> That's all you have to do. I'm not here to force anybody's hands, you know? What about with your children? Have you discussed this topic directly with any of them? Um, so I used to have a podcast about cannabis, and this was like in 2019. Um, and that came up with my kids then because mm-hmm. I had all these books about cannabis. And I remember my now 10-year-old was like, what's cannabis? And I was like, it's a medicine, you know? And we've had very basic conversations around it. Um, I haven't had a sit down formal conversation with them because they haven't asked, 
Mm. But my 10 year old, he's, he's my curious one. Like my 14, almost 15 year old, like doesn't give a shit. Like He can see you saying or doing something and, you know, look the other way. And he's just not curious. Um, but I'll have the conversation with him when the time is right. I know that. Mm. But yeah, my 10 year old. I do. And he's like, why are you so obsessed with mushrooms? <laughs> and I, this was like recent. I was like, well, you know, some people like to drink and collect whiskey and alcohol and, and bottles. And, and this is what I like. Like it helps me be a better mom and it's a medicine for me. So very basic. Like Excellent. you don't need to make it more complicated than that. Totally. Here's a Johns Hopkins study. <laughs> right. I'm like, somebody make a book about mushrooms. Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human? One that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit P-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot org to become a member and find more information. (laughs) I have been, for a couple of years now, I've been thinking like a kid's book, a kid's psychedelic, not not directly psychedelic, but kind of, you know, it's sowing the seeds. Uh, I don't know if you heard recently, you know, this, it, it, it is relevant. It's a powerful uh, subject, but there was a a young man in New Albany, I believe, across the river who just uh, uh, died in a car wreck, and he was on some kind of psychedelic. Um, Not sure what yet. Um, We've been asked to possibly talk to the school. It's a Montessori school, um, and it's long been a dream of mine to have some kind of legitimate drug education program rather than this bullshit dare stuff that we grew up with so this may be an opening for that but it's it's incredible you know right this week as well i'm also working uh very closely there's a member of ours who's uh within the final days of his life from stage four cancer and he uh, we did a, a ceremony with him a few weeks back and uh just being at his bedside the last few days has been has been really powerful. And then to have this tragedy occur as well uh, from the misuse of psychedelics, it just highlights how how much education there still is to do, you know, mm-hmm. from the, the stigma that's around it, the misuse and the, the, the potential for harm to come out of it. Uh, fortunately, this school is uh, having a, an honest conversation with their students and not condemning his behavior or condemning the drugs or plants themselves, uh, which is, is really admirable and kind of surprising out of yeah. you know, Southern Indiana and Kentucky here. But doesn't it kind of feel like we're in a, to me, it feels oddly right that there is such a growing psychedelic movement here in Kentucky. I feel like Louisville and Southern Indiana, I know it's just, it's, it's big all around. Right. Um, but I, like when we came back <clears throat> from, from Jamaica, 
got here. And after a few days, I was kind of like, huh, okay, this is actually why we're back because there, there is a, there is an energy here that is, is, is welling up, I believe. And I feel, and there's so many mushroom cultivators and around the spore art studios and mm-hmm. you all are doing your podcast and it, and then there's, I think, three ayahuasca churches here in Kentucky. You know, mm-hmm. so it, have you have you given that much thought? Uh, you know, I just kind of thought that that was like this bubble and there's other bubbles everywhere else. Mm-hmm. But it does kind of shock me. But I see both ends of it, too, because, you know, I still work with clients with my other business. I'm an esthetician and and sometimes I'll be in a conversation and I'll mention psychedelics and they're like, what? No, that's not a thing. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, it is. Like, (laughs) where have you been? Like, this has been a thing. So sometimes I'm like, is it just my bubble that I'm seeing it all in or, you know, my circle that it's everywhere? Nobody, does everybody see this or is it just us? <laughs> you know? So yeah, I remember this particular client being like, oh, well, they'll never make it legal. And I was like, it's already on the way. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? um, now, yeah. Right. And she was like, really? You know? And I'm like, oh my God, does nobody else know this stuff? <laughs> so it's baffling to me. It's always been so baffling that something being labeled illegal has such a profound impact on how we view it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, like alcohol, you just brought about like bourbon here in Kentucky. Like it's fucking bourbon everywhere. Yes. And it's, yes. it's, it's goddamn deadly. You know, like we see families ruined. I growing up in Washington County and all out there around makers, Mark distilleries. And I like just families decimated by alcohol. So, this is interesting because my I keep going back to my 10-year-old. He's the only one who like he's he's like me. He likes to know everything about everything, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to drive me crazy because he asked so many whys all the time. And I'm like, just because, but now I'm like, oh, he's like, <laughs> 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 well, you know, your teachers, your kids are your greatest uh, teachers. Like, Shit, he's just like me. Um but, you know, he came home from school one day and he was just like, did you know that um, sugar's a drug? And uh, yes. like, how did you learn that in school? And he was like, yeah. He was like, I learned that like everything you put into your body is can be a drug. And I'm like, mm. yes, thank you for that. Because that word drug scares so many people. And mm-hmm. Christine and I have talked about it on our podcast. Coffee's a drug. Soda is a drug. Sugar is a drug. Tylenol is a drug. Like just because of the word, there's like such a negative tie to mm-hmm. what we're doing. And what's interesting is like even the legalities of it. Like yes, it's illegal for now. It's a Schedule One substance. But you know what else is illegal? Underage drinking. You know what else is illegal? <laughs> you know, taking someone else's pain meds. You know, or breaking the speed limit. Yes. You know? So, which is actually considerably more dangerous than psychedelics. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there's that whole like you know just because it's illegal, like alcohol was also illegal at one point. Right. Um, but it's so much more dangerous for us, but also so normalized. So we want to talk about like the parenting side of this. I want to, I kind of want to touch on that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my kids haven't 
I haven't drank in like six years, but my kids haven't seen my husband drinking in 18 months. And we have an unfinished bar in our basement because we started it before we got sober. And now it's like, shit, what do we do with this space? (laughs) But, you know, a friend of ours, their teenagers just got caught drinking and they're so upset. And I'm like, but you guys drink every weekend. Like, you guys create, like, you go to concerts and you drink with your kids and you do this and you drink with your kids and you do that and you're drinking in front of your kids. Why is that shocking to you? You've normalized it from the time that they were born to the time that they're teenagers. Why wouldn't they be curious so and true. get into your liquor cabinet? So why aren't you having a conversation with them about it? Is it because if you have a conversation with them about it, you're going oh. to commit <laughs> you? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I guess that's like the normalization. I think I'm not lying to my kids. I'm being honest with them when it comes up. And I have I do feel like there has to be a better way for me to have these conversations with them. Haven't quite figured it out yet, (laughs) but that's a start. Like, let's talk about the word drug and what it means. Let's talk about what's safe and what isn't safe. And I would like to think that if I create this space with my children that, that makes them feel safe enough to talk to me, then we can have that conversation when the time is right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking with my 19-year-old, you know, uh, just I keep rejoicing in this. Uh, my 19-year-old son, <clears throat> uh, we were separate for about almost seven years. Uh, he went to live with his mother, and he and I had, when he was 14, I dosed him with psilocybin uh, a couple times in Jamaica. Uh, and then he had a few doses here by himself and some LSD. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then... Um, we kind of separated for a little bit and he's recently been, uh, he moved back in with us and it's been just the greatest joy of my life. I had no idea how much I was missing that. Um, but the conversation that we were having yesterday, you know, he is very experienced and very, very wise to the safety of drugs. He actually, um, about a year ago, I was in Jamaica and got a call and had to come home because he was in a coma. He had accidentally overdosed on uh, fentanyl and came within a hair's breadth of passing away. Um, and uh, he, since then, has just become a, a new person. And he's so intuitive. He's always been so empathic and intuitive, but it's at a level now that it just continually blows me away and he is able to communicate very well the risks and benefits of different drugs um and so i was talking to him yesterday saying you know maybe maybe you're the one to develop we develop together this education drug education program somehow because who better to talk to 15-year-olds than a 19 or 20-year-old, you know? Right. Someone they can aspire to. And so, you know, it was years ago before I started MICO, before anything, it was kind of, it felt, felt very strongly that if mothers in particular would stand up and herald the benefit of psychedelics, that it would bring about a massive cultural transformation 
you are the, the the hinge point of it all, you know. Like my wife was sick this week, and the whole house goes to fucking hell. <laughs> I do I do shit like I'm not a, like a, a cow husband, you know what I'm saying? But like everything revolves around the mother, and yeah. what an honored place that is. And it's also, you know, probably why so many women were shaman. You know this this access point to other worlds, to the intuitive self, to the heart space. And so I really, really commend you and Christine both for being very public and very bold in bringing this conversation forward. Well, what you're saying about the mothers, I have been feeling recently, like there's, you know, it's it's funny talking to you about this, but like there's definitely this shift in women kind of taking on the lead of this healing space Mm -hmm. and the men are just kind of either following or falling off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were in this space before you met Courtney. So I'm like, you're one of the lucky ones (laughs) for sure. It was very much, you know, me taking that first step and really kind of going into mushrooms with intention and and realizing the potential that they had for growth that I'm like, you're either going to, you either need to get on board or fall off because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I am, I'm moving on, you know, mm-hmm. I'm growing, I'm healing, I'm, I'm different. Mm-hmm. And if you can't change and if you can't get on board with this, then I need to be alone, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we are very powerful in that, you know, we're creating this movement that I think has been stagnant for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, it seems that historically much of that suppression coincided with this, you know, patriarchal domina- domination. You know, you yeah. saw what happened when the you know, conquistadors came into South America and, you know, just you can look around the world and the mystery traditions are all very feminine in energy. So the suppression of it, you know, everything has its, has its kind of course to run and right. all of that. Uh, but I think that, I don't know, we still got a bunch, we still got some stuff to clean up. Don't get me wrong. Oh, you know, really? the, the machine is, yeah. Yeah. But, the the balance is shifting and it's beautiful. And I do very often, I look around me and I see how many uh, amazing women are around me. And I'm like, yeah, I must be doing something right. You know? Yeah. There's definitely a shift. And, you know, it's hearing you talk about your son, you know, I think that's beautiful. I saw your post about him coming back in. Mm. Amazing. I have... Maybe I haven't said this in a podcast. Maybe I've thought it, but I've been afraid to say it. But, you know, my my oldest is, is autistic. He's on the spectrum. So is my husband. Mm-hmm. And since my husband started using psychedelics, there has been such a shift in the way that he connects with people. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've watched it. It's It's amazing. Like, he had such a hard time connecting before. So alcohol was the only way he knew how to connect. I have thought before, I'm like, I want to, I want my son to experience this mm-hmm. when he's older. I want him to get the benefits of being able to like connect with people because he has such a hard time connecting right now. And I'm saying this because it's, it's such a weird thing to say to someone who doesn't understand. Like, yeah, I want to dose my son. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I would never do it without him knowing. I we would talk to him about it. We would sit down with him about it. But so many people are like, oh my God, she's talking about giving her son psychedelics. But I'm like, you give your children medication all the time. Oh my God, all the shit like, that our children there? No, like, no. Really? Like yeah. so yeah. how is this different? Like for him to have this one experience before he decides to go to college, so he knows whether or not he wants to go to college or not. <laughs> Like, so he can find himself. And Meanwhile, let me pull this book off the shelf that I literally have beside me that documents the use of LSD in 5 to 15-year-olds in the 40s and had just incredible impact on autism in particular. Children yeah. that were self-mutilating and nonverbal, and they were giving them like a thousand microgram doses. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And kids that had never spoken started to come out and talk because they've been assimilating all this knowledge, but they couldn't put it together to, to, to send it out. It's incredibly powerful. It's a book called Acid Dreams. I don't know it's over on the bookshelf, but uh, okay. there's a ton of research that was done with psychedelics and children in the 40s and 50s that was subsequently destroyed by the United States government. It's documented. It's 100%. I would love to read that book. There, We had... Um a guest one time send us a white paper report on autism and ketamine because they had mm. been working with um, autistic children using ketamine treatments mm. and recording all the evidence and data. Um, and we also just, um, we have an interview coming up with, uh, his name is Aaron, but I can't remember his last name, but he wrote a book called Autism on Acid. Because mm. he literally started getting into the psychedelic space and started realizing like what he was missing was this connective part. Like he was having a hard time connecting with other people and he felt love for the first time. So he wrote this book, Autism on Acid. He's like a researcher now working with LSD and autism. And so I'm like, I think that this is incredible because it's kind of like bringing it back. Like let's bring it back. Yes. If you can, you know, give your child medication for ADHD why can I not give my child something that would help him connect with right. people? <clears throat> that we know we know it's good for brain health. We know it's good for you. It's non-addictive. Right. Traditional cultures, you know, in in some cultures, ayahuasca was rubbed on the mother's nipple when the child took its first feeding. <gasps> wow. Yeah. yeah, just to go ahead and initiate. And which is another thing that we're missing as a culture is is kind of initiation rights. Yeah, so. I was going to say that like coming of age thing. Mm-hmm. Like we don't do anything like that. Yeah. So no. what's what's the what's the? And I'm sure there's multiple, but kind of what are some of the biggest ahas or surprises in the conversations that you've had in, in with such a diverse, um, uh, 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 not audience, but subject that you're dealing with the inter- the interviewees if you will i guess so i don't know if this is like an aha moment but it definitely makes us feel less alone and i think that this would be helpful for other people who are maybe just like starting on this journey um this is something that all of our guests have kind of talked to whether before recording or after recording but we've talked about it um sometimes in the episodes is um how hard this is, <laughs> how hard the the journey of like healing is, how you lose friends, you lose family. Um, you know, 
somebody the other day was like, it's not talked about enough. And I'm like, no, we talk about it a lot, but I guess it's like one of those things, like you can't prepare someone for parenthood until they become a parent. Mm -hmm. That to me is, is it's Mm -hmm. one of our, I wouldn't, I, it's hard to say it's not an aha moment, but I'm like, Oh, everybody goes through this. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't, sorry. Well, I was just going to ask if you could kind of talk about some of that in your own personal experience. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've we've maybe touched on it, but maybe not gone into a lot of detail. And maybe that's something that we can do in a future episode, Christine and I. But like, you know, the friends who we thought would be happy that we're moving forward in our lives and just being very like standoffish about it. And you're like, wait a minute, what? Like, how are they not happy for me? You know, and, and just losing the people that you thought would be your biggest cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to come back from that. Like when you see the way that people are with you, um, when you start doing all these things, um, the judgment that's there or the misunderstanding and not wanting to understand that's hurtful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like just the like, Nope, don't want to hear about it. Not for me. And I'm like, I'm not, isn't it? Isn't it like? Oh, <laughs> there's something there to explore if you're not even willing to listen to a subject matter. That's kind of the thing. I'm like, I'm not asking you to do it, but like, if you're not even willing to understand where I am and why, mm-hmm. you know, like, there's that, there's that disconnect there, and it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's definitely, and even with family members, that's like probably one of the hardest. Totally, totally get it. I have, yeah, lost contact with my immediate family because of it. And it was something that comes to my mind quite a bit. And I'm going to ask you also to talk about one of these, um, not colloquialisms, but these catchphrases that's used that I've seen you all bring up in this in this conversation, but... Yeah, yeah, but so, you know, raised Catholic and the Bible's always there and they teach you all the Jesus. And there, there was a line to some paraphrased something like Jesus saying that if you're not willing to leave your mother and brothers behind to go into the kingdom of heaven, then you're not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And that's how I feel about this. Like, yeah, and and that's not to try and equate our practice with some kind of you know more godly or this is heaven. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is what psychedelics show us, in my opinion, that it is within us. We have the universe is within us, and so that's a that's a choice that you know we all ultimately will have to make in one way or another. Are we willing to walk away from the worldly? possessions and relationships that we hold dear in search for our higher truth. So I was just saying that to someone the other day who's having a hard time with this is, you know, I I look at um, heaven different now uh, because I grew up very religious too. Um, I don't think that heaven is a place you go when you die. I think it's a place that happens now, like you create it, it's it's peace within yourself. Um, and then I took it a step further, and I'm like, you know, they talk about the rapture, and I see that different. I'm like, 
to me, the rapture is happening already. It's, it's always happening. It's the left behind. Like Mm -hmm. I'm leaving a lot of people behind because Mm -hmm. they don't see what I see. They, they don't see that there is heaven here on earth. And I'm like, okay, if you can't see this, if you can't, damn, like it's here, it's right here. I I want you to be able to see it, but if you can't, and if you want to continue to live in hell, like I got to leave you behind. So that's the rapture. And with what you're saying, it's even more, it's connecting even more, um, it's it's been a struggle even recently and it's not my story to tell but you know my husband's parents aren't really in support of him being sober <laughs> so it's just it it just it's it keeps happening like the people you think who would be your biggest supporters God. end up being the people who are trying to hold you back it, it, it's it, it's God, that is so true. I can't believe that we're talking about this because this is such a prominent theme in my life as well right now. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, I want them to, ha- I want everybody to come with me. Don't get me wrong. Oh, for sure. Like, for sure. But I'm like, the door is open. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to walk through it. You got to walk through it. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's, it, it does. There is so much heartache there. And all we can do is really feel that and honor it and and know that that's an indication of our desire to be in heaven with our loved ones. Right. You know? And it feels very different than like, you know, I'm, I'm like hearing this in my head right now. It's like the excommunications that happen, you know, in churches where they're like, oh, well, if you can't be this, then we can't talk to you. Like, especially in like Scientology, if you're not a Scientologist, like you're banned. Mm-hmm. It's very different than that. It's, it's nobody's banning anybody. No, you're welcome to come along anytime. And, right. and actually, well, the truth of the matter is, for at least in my perspective, is that you have no choice but to ultimately come along. It may take lifetimes, right? And that's fine. We've got all the time that exists. So right. take your time. It's fine. The sooner the better, in my opinion. But at the right. same time, oh, you come you know, with me. <laughs> I, I also have, you know, yesterday was a really challenging emotional day for me i spent some of my day in hell yesterday you know and so recognizing that we all are just continuing to you know walk each other home as our good friend ram das would say that's what i feel like a lot of people struggle with is is the idea that we just have this like rainbows and butterflies life <laughs> and i'm like it's it's so much further than that we still have to live our lives as humans mm-hmm. there is still a lot of shit that happens but i just think we we have a different perception of it now mm. you know like we mm-hmm. we can we can handle it a little better we don't spiral in it you know and or if I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I'll catch myself spiraling and sometimes my husband is regulated enough that he can catch me out of it. He can hold Mm -hmm. my hand through it and Mm -hmm. it goes the other way. Sometimes he's spiraling and I can pull him through it, but Mm -hmm. you know, we don't stay in those spirals for long. Right. That's the question. Are you, are you making an effort? You know, I had, excuse me, I'm going to, I'm going to just lay this shit out here publicly. It feels so good to just like acknowledge my faults and it's something I'm continuing to enjoy more and more. Uh, but yesterday I had this major kind of revelation. So, God, it's, I'm going to I'm gonna sound like an asshole for a minute. But okay. I think by the, by the end, hopefully, there'll be some redeeming qualities. Uh, but I've had this thing. 
as long as I can remember, when my partner gets sick, I get annoyed. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think that this is a particularly a male trait. I think men, we're so fucking weak and we always need our mommies when we're sick. And then when our mommy gets sick, we don't want to, you know, and yeah. it's pathetic. And I, that happened. And then, and, and Courtney said to me, you know, I, I, I need you to understand that this does not feel good. And it confronted me with what I already knew was there because every time this happens, I'm just like, you're a fucking asshole. Why can't you just like, like show up and be the person that your partner needs you to be right now, you know? And I don't know why. It's always been just so difficult to do. And so she is the first person ever to say something. And she said something yesterday and it, it you know, sent me in a spiral uh, or I chose to dive into the spiral of self-loathing for a little while. And after... I came out of it. I was in meditation. I'm reading this book, um, The Course in Miracles. Fucking incredible book. I haven't read a book like this in a long time. And uh, it gives me a lot of insight into my behavior. And it was so, it was speaking so clearly to what I was experiencing yesterday. And for the first time ever, out loud, I acknowledged that I did this and then I fucking hate it. I love my wife so much. She is the sunshine of my life. There's never been anybody who could hold a flame to her. And I treat her like this sometimes. And acknowledging that, saying that out loud, it felt like it was the step that got me over the hurdle so that I can actually make the improvements, you know. And so that's just to speak to kind of a lot of what we've been kind of talking about in this conversation is that to get through the light, we've got to go through the dark. And that's within our own professional communities, our personal communities, our our, our families. And, and it's just so much of what psychedelics have taught me over the years. And I know that I'm, like you're saying, a much better husband and father because of my work with these sacred plants. Yeah. So take me in this this thing. This is This is a little bit of a personal satisfaction, but I think I know that this will be also a valuable topic conversation for our listeners uh, because okay. there are so many people in our sanctuary community, so many people that I've worked with over the years that have expressed just what you're saying, that they have to abandon often some of their most loved ones who are highly critical or won't come along. And, you know, you all have seen on your social media, this blood is thicker than water, kind of refuting mm -hmm. this adage. So first of all, how did that come up in conversation within your podcast? And talk a little bit more about the real kind of context behind that. Behind the word, the, behind, the, behind the, saying, the saying itself. Cause it's yeah. So I think that that it, it didn't come up in our podcast. It comes up a lot oh. in just life, like mm -hmm. the blood, blood is thicker than water. And mm -hmm. I think, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to take it back a little bit to my in-laws kind of getting upset with my husband for taking up for me and we're your blood. And I'm like, why do people keep saying that? Like, he's not allowed to defend his wife. Like, why is that? Why did, no, that's not how this works. And, you know, sometimes the people who I'm blood related to have been the ones who have hurt me the most. Like, I don't owe them more than what I'm giving to the person I'm choosing to be with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of like, what does that saying really mean? Um, found a whole lot of sayings that we're getting wrong. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of them, like one of them, this is interesting. You know, I think this one kind of goes with psychedelics too. Like curiosity killed the cat. Mm -hmm. Like don't, don't ask questions. Curiosity killed the cat. But then the adage to that is, but satisfaction brought it back. Oh, you're kidding me. No. So it's like, yeah, it did, but then it found the answers and then now it's better than before. So it's oh, the same thing, blood is thicker than water. <laughs> the saying that people use is but blood is thicker than water. But the true saying is um, but the blood of uh, the blood is thicker than water, but oh my god, now I'm blanking on it. Shoot. Hang on, I gotta Google this real quick. Yeah, look it up. Look it up. Shoot, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's what Google's for. Yeah, you're right. Blood is thicker than water. Okay. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. So this started happening in the war, like people who like fought in World War One together, they went through so much together. Mm-hmm. So it's like the blood of the covenant, like that mm-hmm. is thicker than the water of the womb that they were born out of. Because ah. they went through fire and hell with these people. <laughs> you know? Which can be very related to the psychedelic experience working Absolutely. through. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I certainly know that there are individuals in the psychedelic community that are more family to me than my blood, you know, yeah. for sure. My ayahuasca experience actually did. So peaceful mountain way out in Berea went out there yeah. and there was a, a beautiful um, woman who was, I, I have never in all of my years, I have never had anyone sit for me. I have never, ever. I've it's crazy. I was thinking about that yesterday. Like how I've had fucking hundreds of doses and I have never, had anyone set for me except for in that one ayahuasca session. And in that, in that session, which was very lucid, um, was talking with, with this, uh, uh, young woman, her mother, I can't remember her name, but she, I, I was expressing how, you know, my mom basically just said me or this life kind of thing. And, uh, how there was always this kind of guilt and like, you owe me because I'm your mother you know, you owe me a certain amount of respect or whatever it is. And she, this, this facilitator, as we were talking it out, said to me, God, it was so nice having that. She said, um, she said, let me ask you a question. She said, you're a parent, aren't you, Eric? I said, yeah. She said, how meaningful was your life before you had children? And I was like, oh, it wasn't. I was just fucking drunk and stupid, you know? And she was <laughs> like, so who actually owes who, the parent or the child? And I was like, you're so fucking right. I am indebted to my children. They saved my life. My, my children don't owe me a goddamn thing. They didn't ask to come in this world. They didn't ask to be... No, I owe them. And it completely flipped the script for me on that whole situation because I had been walking around with a ton of guilt about abandoning or leaving my family behind. And it's like, oh, it's the other way around. Yeah, I think that that's... Um you know, I, I know this, this is like such a trendy word right now, but like the gaslighting, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. having that, holding that against someone, like, you know, it doesn't mean that you weren't there for me as a parent, mm-hmm. you know, it absolutely does not. You were, 
But like in this moment, you were trying to hold me back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is not what a parent should be doing. You know, like how many animals literally like they, they hatch their birds or whatever, and then they send them off to fly. Like that's what you should be doing. You should be proud of me because now I'm not under your wings anymore. And I'm, I'm flying. Yeah. Why are you angry? Yeah. No, well, the irony is my mom wanted me to be a priest. Like growing up, it was always, you're going to be a priest. You're going to be a priest. And now we start a psychedelic church and she ain't so happy about that. Not like that. <laughs> That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. <laughs> but, but, but you're like, but you said. Yeah. <laughs> so talk, said. talk if, if you would, let's, let's kind of maybe wrap this up on yeah. a, on, on a spiritual note. I would, I would love to hear how you understand the spirituality of psychedelics. Oh, I think that that one is a pretty, that one hit me the first time. Um, understanding that, I am bigger than small and I'm smaller than anything. (laughs) Does that make any sense? Like I am big and I am nothing all at once. Mm -hmm. That was my first experience. Um, Spirituality kind of hit really hard after that. Um, And I was the only person in my circle of friends or family who was anywhere in the spiritual space. Like what's, crazy about that is I used to say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, mm-hmm. until I became spiritual. And I was like, fuck no, I wasn't. Like, <laughs> that was nothing. Like, I knew there was something, but now it's very different just having faith in, you know, we've we've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll, I call it the universe. Mm-hmm. I don't say God. I just say the universe. Having faith that the universe has got me. Mm-hmm. seeing things and being open to things that I never saw or was open to before, um, having incredible experiences with other people that just feel so spiritual to me that it's like, unhar- it's so hard to explain. Um, the spiritual aspect of it to me was really just unlearning everything that I had learned up to that point. And it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was going crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because no one else like it was literally like there's that movie with Sandra Bullock where they're like they have to keep their eyes closed the whole time did you ever see that oh, so. I knew what it was called but like there was a monster that was killing everybody and the only way it could kill you is if you looked at it so oh. like, you had to learn to be blind it's like you blindfolded yourself but there were these people going around holding people's eyes open, like, don't you see it? And then you would die. (laughs) That's what it kind of felt like. I'm like, am I the only person Mm -hmm. that's seeing this shit? Like that's feeling this way. Like I feel like I'm going insane. Why is no one else seeing this? Like it was extremely isolating. Um, so the the spiritual awakening part of it came, that was what came first for me. Um, and it's funny because my husband now, the same week we did ayahuasca, he did another five gram journey. And out of all the times he's done it this time, several weeks ago was the first time he had a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he comes out of it and he's having all these revelations and I'm like, yeah, 
I've been saying that, <laughs> like, you know, so it's interesting because I think people think that if they do mushrooms, they're going to become spiritual. And I'm like, no, that's, I don't, I don't think that that's for everybody, but like, you know, it's, it's weird when it does happen. Mm-hmm. And just because you're a spiritual person doesn't mean you have to be wearing flowing robes and tassels and bells. Right. And I think people can get there without psychedelics, like, I don't, you know, but, um, that was definitely my catalyst into spirituality and you're right. I'm not, I don't probably look like your typical, um, spiritual woo woo person, (laughs) Cause I still like nice things and I still, <laughs> I'm still a little bit bougie. So I, I put my own spin on it in this, oh my gosh, connecting this back in the same way that with psychedelics in this space and there's so much, you know, judgment around the way that other people are doing things. I'm just doing it my way. Yeah. Yes. Spirituality, yes. my way, what works yes. for me. And I think what's, what's so good about this and being on the same team as everyone else is I might connect with people in a different way than you would spiritually, emotionally, friendship wise, and in the psychedelic space. So why can't there be room for all of us? Ah, Amen. Amen. (laughs) There is. It kind of goes back, you know? It very much does. It very much does. And that's been a big part of, of what I've tried to do is, is, and when I say this to people that I work with at Sanctuary, you know, they're like, this is, this is not to create some dependency issue where you feel like you've got to come to me. I want you to be empowered to know how to explore this on your own because your spirituality is your spirituality. We can have this community of spiritual growth and progress, but nobody can tell you how to engage with the ineffable. Nobody else can put it into words. How, how can they tell you how to engage with it? Right. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I, I've been doing the Sunday services, the Zoom, and when I don't, I feel guilty. <laughs> yes, the plan is working. <laughs> and I'm like, hold up. No, that's not no. what they are. This is not no. like I'm going to get in trouble for not showing up to church. So I'm like, <laughs> there have been times I've thought about like reaching out and being like, I'm sorry I didn't come to church this morning, but I'm like, fuck no. Like, no. that's not no. what this is. That's not no. what it is. Hey, exactly. <laughs> we, we had one, we have one member, uh, a dear friend now who came to us as a, uh, an ex-Mormon traumatized to the hilt. And she came to multiple Sunday services and said she's getting a lot out of them. And then she said to me, she messaged me and said, you know, Eric, she's like, I love, I love everything that's happening here, but it's too triggering. It reminds me just because it's on a Sunday, it's a weekly spiritual talk. It's too much like church that traumatized me. And I'm like, fucking don't come to church. You have the, you have the minister's blessing. <laughs> not you come to church <laughs> whenever you want. Whatever you want. Yeah, no, also, <laughs> maybe I don't know if I should say. Maybe I'll say it just in case she hears it. I'm not saying her name, uh, but she, she, you know, Mormon God. Have you studied, you know, much about the Mormon life? And I've, I've read a little bit about it. Yeah. I've, I've met a number of ex Mormons who were very sexual people, but were not able to express that, you know, because Mormonology is like. Uh, okay. Have you heard? Have you watched Mom Talk? No. 
Okay. There's like a whole group of Mormon moms who were like TikTok famous. They're mom, they're Mormon influencers. And there's a there was a whole drama about it because they had a whole like sex partner switching it up type thing going. And oh. it was a very public thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you just search mom talk, it'll pop up the whole story. It's, it's a, it, so I believe you. Like, there's a lot of like, oh, crazy stigma and guilt yeah. and shame. She, she finally, uh, got a, got a, got a divorce. And, uh, and, uh, I, t- I said something to her like, I hope you're finally having all this crazy sex you could imagine as your minute, as your minister. I'm, I'm saying right now, I hope you're having all the you're crazy like, things you can. You're like that. I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. Like I'm not a regular priest. I'm a cool priest. <laughs> Honest to God, the thing that made me finally say, okay, is when I, we were sitting around talking to somebody and they were saying something like, yeah, when I was a kid, my grandpa was a minister, and I always thought that was kind of cool to tell people that my grandpa was a minister because it immediately gave me some kind of clout or whatever. And I thought, wow, my kid, my grandkids will be able to say my granddad is a psychedelic minister. I mean, yep, okay, cool, let's do it. <laughs> I like had this like thought. I'm like, you know, when this does come up with my kids, like you're always like, are my kids gonna think I'm like super fucking lame? And I'm like, no, they're gonna be. Like, my mom has a psychedelic podcast. Like, so when all their friends are like, hey, bro, you want to do shrooms? They're gonna be like, no, I'm good. <laughs> so also. I definitely think you, you should maybe start get something going with that like education around like the child, the children, the teenagers because yeah. I'm here for that needs to happen. Needs to yeah, happen. For sure. Happen. Yeah. Well, Leah, it has been such a pleasure. I think we could just go on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll leave it for another day. Get Courtney, yeah. get Courtney in the conversation, or let you all have a yeah. have a podcast together. She uh, really. Yeah, she's a wonderful part of this, and you are too. I'm just so grateful that we're all here in the same community having the impact that we are. Thank you. Uh, oh, what does psilocybin say to you? Oh. Mm. Uh, mm. Love yourself. Ah, that's interesting. We just posted a uh, podcast today on masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of works. All of these <laughs> for sure, for sure. Love yourself. All right. Thank uh, you so much. Thank for you me. so much, Leah.